Lord Jesus, we release this offense or these offenses, we release forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that your blood would cover us, would wash away any bondage that has come through offense. Holy Spirit, let your peace flow. Let your kingdom come in us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you. I appreciate you doing that with me. So, um, we're still in our series on humility. Um, but we're talking about offense and, and kind of how those two things are connected together. Um, I will ask you in a few weeks again whether you're humble. Okay, so keep practicing. Eventually you have to say yes. We are humble so that I can move on to a new series. Okay, so I just need one person. Okay, Melissa? Mm. <laughs> she says no, it's not gonna be her. So, um, <laughs> last, last week I spoke about offense and, um, and about us not carrying offense. And, I, you know, and it's important to those, the world around us and you know, we're, we're the places where we work and people that we interact with on all levels, but in, in particular it's important to this body that as brothers and sisters that we don't hold offense against each other. And just a few things that I said two weeks ago, because I know it's been two weeks and sometimes it's hard to remember these things. But if we, if we think about humility as this antidote to taking offense, Humility is always thinking less about ourselves and thinking more about Christ. It's always elevating his preferences above our own. And when we start to privilege love and forgiveness and tolerance, the things that he shows us, then it becomes so much easier not to be offended. When we pursue, our, when we pursue humility more and more, our identity and our sense of worth is gonna be in Christ. It's going to be found in our Father and our Father's love to us. It's going to be found in Jesus. And then what other people do to me starts to matter a lot less. It has less traction to get into my heart and my spirit. And humility is not just, you know, it's, it's not just refusing to be offended. It actually starts to make us unoffendable. And that is a beautiful thing. When the barbs of the world start to be unable to grip, like we've got Teflon or something, you know, just, they can't grip us. And there's so much freedom in that. And just to remind us as well that every time I talk about humility, as often as we're gonna keep talking about humility, humility only makes sense if we have this vision of Jesus, the glorified King, the conqueror of all things, the one who's worthy of us, of all of us. Of a father who is holy but loving. We're not just gonna to get to humility with our own strength. We have to have this, this prize of knowing Jesus and responding to Jesus. Because humility is not natural, in case you hadn't noticed. So I said two weeks ago um, that there's this slight um, 
Irony, perhaps, is a good word. That even, as I said, we mustn't have offense with each other, we have to forgive. We follow a gospel that is deeply offensive. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And once again, you know, I started writing a sermon and, it's, and you know, there's three sermons here. Tyler asked me this week, you know, uh, am I ever gonna do a sermon on, on politics? Because like, that's what I teach, you know, and, and, and how should we be responding to the culture around us? Especially when we get to this next, no doubt, crazy presidential election. And maybe I will. But there's, there's obviously so many ways this goes into politics and culture and all sorts of things. Like this, this is a huge topic. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna kind of scratch the surface and I want, I want us to be thinking about humility. Uh, and then maybe later on, um, before the elections, we'll come back to this, <laughs> with this theme. So when we think about the gospel, the gospel is first of all, it is offensive because it represents truth. It denies our desire to be God, or a God, our own God. And the gospel sets a standard for every action of man and says whether it is good or evil. Sometimes those are hard to discern, but on some things it's really quite easy. And humanity does not like to be told what it can and can't do. We know these words that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a, stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter looks at Jesus and then these two reactions are really quite diverse. He is precious or he's offensive. He's a stumbling block. We were praying before the service and, 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 and Becca felt this urgency to, from the Spirit to pray the armor of God, which is something we should do often. But it's something that Paul tells us to do. You know, we put on the armor of God. And we only need armor if we're in a fight. Jesus says, that we're essentially in a battle against hell and the gates of hell will not withstand the kingdom of God. There's this contest with the world and with Satan. There is this natural offensiveness of the gospel. And Jesus' kingdom, it offends the world because it's holy. It sets the standard for us and it reveals the darkness of men and women. Remember the words of Jesus in John 3. This is the condemnation. Sorry, this is from John. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his works may not be exposed. The gospel offends the world. And I'm gonna come back to this, but the more that we follow the gospel, the more that we see the kingdom of God come, the more that we see the power of God come, the more we can expect the world around us to actually react against us. And that makes humility so important. If we don't have humility, 
If we don't have our eyes fixed on Christ, then we will start to respond to the world with the world's weapons, with the ways of the world. I'll come back to that. The kingdom has this natural antagonism with the ways of the world, but it also has a natural antagonism with the religious spirit. This is one of my favorite stories about Jesus from Mark 3, reading from verse 1. And Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, with their, he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Matt, at the beginning of the service, read another passage where Jesus heals on the Sabbath and he calls the religious leaders hypocrites and you can feel his anger again. We presume Jesus was angry when he flips the tables at the temple, but this is actually the only scripture which actually says Jesus was angry. And what makes him angry? What's this one special time that the scriptures will say it? that there are religious leaders who are working against the power of the kingdom of God, who do not want to see healing because of their own rules and regulations. And they are clearly offended at Jesus. They have an idea of the Sabbath. They have their religious expectations of what should and shouldn't happen, and they're wrong. Jesus is honoring the Sabbath And he says, Mark says that their hearts are hard. What does it look like for our hearts to be so offended that when someone is healed in a staggering way that only God could do, this is not one of these things that could be medicine or it could be God, this is <laughs> clearly God, that they are so angry that they will kill not just say horrible things, but kill. This is the height of offense. The religious spirit is offended by the gospel, by the kingdom. The religious systems that man sets up will always respond in anger and hate towards the kingdom of God. Unfortunately. You know, we might be tempted as well to think and we have, there is this temptation, I'll come back to the end as well again, that with humility, well, we, sh you know, we should go low. You know, Jesus, humility is all about going low. We serve. He washes the disciples' feet. We don't seize power. If we want to be first, we must be last. So why does Jesus cause trouble? Why does he antagonize them? Shouldn't he try to settle things quietly? 
But humility is not weakness. Humility is fierce when it's for the kingdom of God. Jesus knows this is going to provoke the religious leaders. I've mentioned before that one of my favorite Christians on the planet is Jackie Pullinger. And, and, um, and she really is one of the most humble people I know, and she is literally one of the scariest people. She knows God so much and she loves so deeply, it's scary. And I pity you if you challenge her and you have a religious spirit. Don't do it. It will end badly. I've seen people drop to the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit when they've confronted her. That's pretty cool and pretty scary. <laughs> so remember the word offense, the word, the Greek word for offense is skandalizo. It refers to a snare, a bait trap, the stick in a, in a trap. It's designed to entrap us. It's about our preferences, our pride, our desire for power. And it will always trap us away from the power of the gospel. The religious leaders are so intent on their understanding of what the Sabbath is, what the law of God says, that God is literally standing in front of them. And that's, you know, we can still understand, he's just a man in their eyes, but he literally just does a crazy miracle. Something, something should have been stirring in them. But they're trapped in their pride, they're trapped in their offense. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples of John in Matthew 11. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. These amazing things. <laughs> and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And Jesus says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. These amazing things. Wouldn't we expect thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to be following him? But he says, and blessed are those who are not offended by me. It's such a weird statement. But he knows the hearts of men. How, we, how can we be offended by people being healed and raised from the dead? But we would rather protect our theology over the reality of Jesus. And you know, I'm sure I'm sure we all know stories of, of churches where God has done amazing things that people have been offended. And the gospel does offend and because the gospel is light and it shines light on us. I, you know, I've, I've shared in the past about my, my friend Mike Richards in Tacoma who lost over half his church when the Holy Spirit started to move. And the, and the one thing that frustrated him more than anything else, and, and I know he was angry about this, was they had a member of staff who had Lou Gehrig's disease, which is incurable, and I think he had four or five kids. And they thought he was about two weeks away from death, and the Lord healed him in an instant. And he literally had people leaving his church because God healed someone because they didn't think God still healed. And they walked away because their theology was offended. And we, you know, I understand that sometimes the Lord does things that are a little crazy, but we've had people manifest, you know, demonic oppression, and people have never come back. 
because they're offended, they don't understand, goes against what they're used to. I think the kingdom of God, if it moves, it will sometimes be spectacular, it will sometimes be offensive. And we have to be willing, we have to be humble. The most scary story, and I tell my students the story just because it really freaks some of them out. Um, but my favorite story from, from Mike's church in Tacoma, um, when the Lord started doing crazy things, and some of you have heard it, at least you know, this whole story, just the part, but they have this one guy come in who's fully possessed by a demon, and, and, the, and, the, and the demon starts calling out people's sin in the church. And that's really embarrassing. And hundreds of people left the church. And it's a funny thing, because if you are Bible-believing and you believe in repentance, but you also believe in holiness, which is a good thing, what happens when your holiness becomes more important than repentance? And you're so scared that someone with a demon might point out your sin that you'll run away, rather than being humble and saying, this is actually a chance, I'm getting called out, even if by a demon, the Lord is showing me that I need to repent. But holiness becomes more important than repentance. A fake holiness. And then people run away. The gospel can be seriously offensive. And the spirit can really mess with us. <laughs> Obviously, humility is always calling us to lay down our preferences. It's calling us to pursue God's way. And maybe the most famous scripture in this is Matthew 16 and Jesus and Peter. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And this is a really harsh rebuke of Peter. It's a wonderful warning to all of us. That it's so easy, Peter who knows and obviously loves Jesus and he's trying to protect Jesus. But Jesus doesn't say, I appreciate it, Peter. Thanks for caring about me. Thanks for loving me. He says, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And this is so often what happens in the church, is that we allow the things of the world to start to creep in, and the ways of the world to creep in. And that, that's a huge topic in itself, obviously, all sorts of things around sin and what we say is good or evil, or, you know, it's, it's huge. But at, at its very base, it's about us wanting to be right. It's about us wanting to be powerful. It's about us wanting to be in control. It's all the things that Jesus didn't model for us. Jesus calls us to advance the kingdom of God, but not through earthly power. And the church, the church has always had this choice, hasn't it? To respond to the world with worldly systems. or to represent the kingdom of God 
and the two hardly ever go together. I don't know if they ever can. We have to choose. And what the world wants to do is, is bait us into taking offense. And we can get angry, which if we're Jesus is okay, we tend to not have perfect anger. There might be times where you have spirit-filled anger, but they're rare. But we tend to criticize. Have you criticized anyone in the world this week? Um, Have you mocked anyone in the world this week? Have you judged anyone in the world this week? Just once, maybe. Multiple times. (laughs) Thank you, Dana. So, (laughs) this is always our temptation. And again, we have this strange gospel. Like, Jesus is the light of the world, and, and, and the gospel says that that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hates it. And there is this natural judgment that occurs, but then Jesus also says, you know, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. I'm calling for you to go out and save the world. Will you spread my kingdom? Will you save the world? I will come back and judge. The Father will judge. That's not our job, our job is to save. That doesn't mean that we don't speak truth, that doesn't mean we don't stand on what is true, but we do it in humility, we don't do it in anger, we don't try and get power over people, we serve, even as we speak what we believe is true. And the only way to do that is through humility, through appreciating the glory of Christ and the beauty of his spirit. Because Jesus says some really quite daft things, forgive me for saying that, but they are daft, unless you're filled with the spirit. Love your enemy. Seriously, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Rejoice when they persecute you. In fact, when someone persecutes you, Jesus says, let them do it again and and let them do it twice as much. That's not natural, people. If you have any pride in you, if you have anything that's of the world, you will react in anger and confrontation. And it's only in humility that we can actually respond in love. And I'm not saying that we're a walkover. I'm saying we're not responding in anger, we're not responding trying to get power over things and control over things. I hope that makes sense. You think of being power under, not power over. The power of the gospel is underneath. Because we are really easily offended. Um, Gosh, it happens every day to me. Um, And I think this is one of the gifts of humility that I'm seeing. And I've only got one or two more things to say. But um, there's so many many discussions going on in our culture that are around identity, aren't there? And values, and right and wrong. And so when someone says something, it's not just, well, that's an idea that I can agree or disagree with, but it's, a, it's something that actually speaks to who I am. It's my identity. It's dehumanizing me. And the more that I think about humility and the more that I pursue God's, God's vision of me and my identity being in God and my own preferences, preferences being meaningless before his glory, 
the more my identity is in him, the less traction that that has. And I'm by no means there yet, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm starting to taste the freedom of it. Because I do, I teach in politics and I, I engage in some really horrible things. And every day there's an opportunity to be offended or to offend. And people get fired in my job for saying the wrong thing. And I literally say the wrong thing every day. And sometimes on purpose. People are so sensitive. But humility, it places identity in Jesus. It places identity in being a child of a loving father that literally nothing can change. And what is beautiful about that is that it actually allows us to love those who disagree with us. So even if they are spewing hate towards us, we can actually love them back in the same way that Jesus did. Because it's not about our identity, we're trying to just reflect Christ in humility. Because I just don't matter anymore. This anger and this hate, my identity is in Jesus, it's not in whatever this person is thinking about me, it's irrelevant. And that is a powerful gift that humility can give us as we minister to a broken world. And it allows his love to soak into us and soak out of us. It's a reminder though, (laughs) that this is not about being weak. Okay, it's just, it's it's about not being self-righteous. It's not, it's about not being proud. It's about an unrelenting confidence in Jesus. I've been um, reading, it's a hard read, so I've been reading very slowly Athanasius's um, incarnation. Um, I don't know if anyone's read this. It's a good read, not easy. Um, but Athanasius, one of the old church fathers, an Egyptian guy, and then the fourth century, the, the, the mantra that is said about him is contra mundum, which literal translation from the Latin means a, against the world. That's what's said about him, Athanasius against the world. He was a bishop in Egypt and he stood against the Arian heresy in the fourth century. And he was exiled six times. On several occasions, the Roman emperor himself personally sent his own soldiers to try and capture him and he was hidden by monks in the desert. And the funny thing about him, He was incredibly stubborn for what he believed was the truth of Christ's birth and death and resurrection and ascension, the incarnation of Christ. And the two things that characterized him more than anything else was joy and humility. And he was humble because the thing he realized above anything else was the humility of Christ in coming to earth and dying for us. This incredible, humble, joyful, spirit-filled man who would not bend to the bishops and the emperors and the soldiers and the governors. He just said, no, this is the truth of Christ. And he did it with love. And the funny thing is, he won. We believe what we do about Jesus today because of that man who refused to bend to literally every single person in the church and in politics who had power. There is a strength in humility before Christ 
there's a strength in us having this vision of Jesus. As, you know, sometimes, quite often before I preach, I know what I'm supposed to pray at the end. This was one of those sermons where I was like, Lord, I just, I'm not really sure what you want us to do with this one. But he started to speak to me a little bit during worship. So I want to finish with this. Worship team, do we have a song for the end? Okay, if you guys can just be ready so we don't have that awkward pause thing. Why are you getting ready? So, <laughs> we, all right, the first thing, if, if, if you're still struggling with this idea of humility, go back to surrender. Okay, we, we can't, we can't find humility before Christ without surrender. That's the first thing, okay? And I know we did weeks and weeks on surrender. Ask the Lord. And ask him about humility as well. The Father loves us when we ask him to help us represent Jesus better. But I, I, want, us, I want us to, and this might be a really obvious thing to say, so forgive me, but I want us to actually start to imagine humility as a real, actual thing. And yeah, this might sound stupid, I don't know, but we can have these ideas about things that are in scripture. I should be humble, yeah, good idea. Jesus was humble, I'll be humble. Yes, but true humility, as I've said, true humility comes from actually the reality of knowing the glory of the Father and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. It's an actual, it's a lived reality that shapes us, all of us. That we respond physically and emotionally and mentally out of humility because we can't escape the glory and the beauty of what we've seen. And, and if that's something that you've only ever really, like, and be honest, if that's something that you've only really ever thought of as an idea, not as an empirical reality that you can actually live out of, then I, then I, 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 I ask you, ask the Lord, show me, reveal yourself, let, me, let this be a reality to me. Not just an idea, Jesus. It is so central to his gospel, will you make it an idea? So can we, can we pray, and Matt might have something else as well, but can we pray and just ask the Lord, if you'll just keep moving us on this journey, Let's pray. Lord, one of the one of the um, one of the very first steps in surrender and humility is repentance. So Lord, I just ask first of all, for anyone that, that feels this, um, Lord, for every time that we have judged people around us and we have mocked people and we have criticized people where we haven't represented your heart towards those around us, where we've operated in a critical spirit, Especially, Lord, when we, we, we've, been, we've acted in a religious way towards our brothers and sisters and we've judged them. Would you forgive us, Jesus? <laughs>
We give all these sins to you, Lord, and we, we receive forgiveness, and we thank you that your forgiveness is guaranteed to us. We receive it. And Lord, if there's any, um, if there's any um, healing, Lord, if, there, if there's any, anything that we need to do with anyone that we've hurt, Lord, will you show us what that looks like and give us the courage to do that this week and make things right. But Lord, would you bless those that we have criticized? Lord, I know none of us are ever going to be 100% humble and 100% surrendered. But we can, we can say to you, Lord, that our heart, our heart is to be more surrendered. Our heart is to reflect your humility to the world around us, Lord, and to stand in your kingdom and, and in your power and in your ways of doing things. So we ask you, Jesus, will you take us further? Will you fill us with your spirit? Will you show us the majesty and the glory of your throne and of your kingdom, of the one that we worship?